Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you're at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Thank you for joining us today on Hope Along the Journey podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Cravens, your podcast host, and we're delighted that you've joined us here today for what I feel like is going to be an extremely inspirational podcast. Uh, you're going to not only want to hear this yourself, but you're going to want to share this, no doubt, with others. It's great to have here, by way of Zoom, Sarah M., all the way down from sunny Florida there in greater Tampa Bay area. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, we've, we've talked about this, and we've been corresponding about it, but finally the time has arrived. I've been reading your book, and so I'm very thrilled to have you on the podcast to share today. Sarah is an inspirational speaker. She's an award-winning author. Uh, she is a wellness advocate and a community leader, a Christian believer, and a wife, and just all kind. You wear all kinds of hats, don't you, Sarah? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but why we have her on the podcast today is we want Sarah to share a remarkable story of how she was a survivor of mass genocide. She is originally from the country of Cambodia, and she is author of a book entitled How I Survived the Killing Fields, a story of hope, love, and determination. And again, Sarah, I'm just so delighted to have you on the podcast here today. Would you begin by just kind of telling us a little bit about what was your childhood like growing up there in that beautiful country of Cambodia? Yes, I love to share my childhood uh, uh, memory because mm -hmm. <laughs> I grew up in the countryside uh, in the fam uh, like farmer's family. Mm -hmm. So everything is surrounded by nature. Mm -hmm. I I'm, I feel at peace. And I feel so much love because I'm the firstborn child. <laughs> oh, so you're the special child, right? I'm a special child. <laughs> I just wish I wish the audience could see your face beaming right now. I mean, I just see the pride in that statement as you say it. That's beautiful. So you were born the firstborn child of a beautiful farming family there in Cambodia. Yes. Yeah. So what was that like growing up for you? Growing up, it's feel secure, mm -hmm. um, happy, um, and and I, I just enjoy the nature. Mm -hmm. You know, everything, mm -hmm. everything we need, it's around our house. Mm -hmm. We can find any fruit, plenty of fruit tree, plenty mm -hmm. of plants and garden and everything and uh, my dad have the fishing net every time when we need some fish he said let's go bring the bucket bring the bucket ready to gather the, the fish yeah that's neat so fresh fruit fresh produce 
fresh fish. Man, it, it must have been like living in paradise to some extent. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, when when I think about it, it, yeah, it's like a perfect, perfect mm-hmm. place for us to enjoy our life. Right, right. Then later on in life, you moved away from that rural setting, didn't you? And you transitioned to a more of a village or city setting. Tell us a little bit about that transition and time in your life. Well, uh, from the village, I I moved to the a city, mm-hmm. and that's it's a stepping stone while I attend high school. Mm-hmm. But once I finished high school, I went to a bigger city that's even further from my hometown. Mm-hmm. That's more like 400 miles away mm-hmm. and to attend college there. Okay, okay. So oh. I was on my vision to become an engineer. Oh, wow. On, that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. What What do you think prompted you to want to be an engineer in life? Oh, one of the reasons is that I love math. I enjoy mathematics. Okay. So it's only a few things that that use mathematics mm-hmm. in the career, either teaching or being an engineer in, in okay. our country. At that time, it's, okay. we, don't have, we don't have many choices. Right. So what was this period of time when you went to college? What years would have those been when you started into your college experience? That's uh, 1975, 74, 75. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, there was a lot of upheaval that began to take place in your country. Tell us a little bit about what was happening during that time. Because in your book, as I've read it, I, I hear you talk about how you heard shots and and bombs that were being dropped in the, off from the city, and yet they drew closer and closer. What was going on during that time? During that time, um, there was the fighting outside of the city mm-hmm. and the fighting is between the communist party the mm. communist uh, regime that they are trying to come in take over the country wow and yeah but but the grassroots they have been planning they have been uh, spreading their propaganda about four or five years ago okay they kind of take some youth uh, they kind of spread the information, Mm -hmm. the philosophy of communism to the school district and uh, some of the teachers bought into their their, um, concept and many students followed them. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of them already uh, forming a group and the fighting was between that group that they want want something new. they don't like what's going on in the current situation. So mm-hmm. the current situation at that time was like, um, it's a capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, it's a free country just like here in the United States. Mm-hmm. But the communist regime, they want to convince us that communism is better. Yeah. It's always amazing to me how the Marxists and communists, it's through the school system and through education and brainwashing the minds of young idealists and young people that 
that the old ways are bad and the old traditions and the old system. And on, unfortunately, many of them discovered too late that what they thought would be a dream ends up being a nightmare for the nation and for the country, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. What, tell, us, tell us a little bit about what happened because uh, in, in your book, which we're going to, we're going to, um, share a little bit more about at the end of the podcast, you tell about what took place when the time came that the bombs and the fighting moved into the area where you were at there at the college. At one point, that's around April, April 1975, they are getting so close. Mm -hmm. So I get panicked. I, be, I became very nervous because at that time, um, it's now a good time to travel anywhere. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I have an uncle who lives just in the suburb of the city. Mm -hmm. So I thought that, you know, if I'm, if I go to be with my uncle and his family, mm -hmm. I feel a little bit more secure. So, right. so um, Asian people, find security with the family where mm -hmm. you know whatever happened outside as long as you are with the family you feel more secure so sure. that's what mm -hmm. i did so when i went to my uncle he's he he already prepared he packed up his stuff he said let's go in to uh, go back to the city mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. i just follow him because he's a he's a former military person right. He know what's going on, so what? And then we came back in the city, and we found an empty building, empty school building to hide. We 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 need a place to hide because the bomb, the rocket, and everything it seem it sounds so close to us. So we wow. found a, we found a shelter in that brick strong brick um, school building. That had to be a frightening experience for you. I mean, I can't imagine what you were feeling during that time when it just seemed like everything around you was starting to, and it literally was falling apart, everything yeah. around you. So in the book, you, you talk about how you made a decision and you didn't realize at the time you made this decision in regards to escaping that set in motion a four-year-long nightmare for you. Tell us a little bit about what that decision was. The the decision, one decision was that I gave up the the helicopter seat mm -hmm. to fly back home, back to my family, mm -hmm. because I feel sympathy for my friend, and she mm -hmm. begged me. She asked me for help. And I have another uncle who is a pilot. He's a military pilot mm -hmm. who flew the helicopter. And he had only one seat. That yeah. one seat was reserved for me. But I feel so sorry for my friend. Mm -hmm. I gave up that seat mm -hmm. to her so that she can go join her family. Right. And I, I just hope that my uncle will come back to pick me up. Mm -hmm. But things get so crazy 
when he came back, I already left my apartment. I I moved around so he could not find me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that one decision did not, you know, yeah. did not help me. So put me in that situation for four long years. Right. It's amazing how a decision like that, you have no idea at the time, was going to set in motion a four-year nightmare in your life. So so take us on this journey of of the march that you and so many people were put on and the, and they transported you and took you out of the city and and help us walk through that time in your life and what transpired during the next 4 years for you. Sure. Yes, when on that day when they came in there was a lot of tank, a lot of military trucks, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a lot of youth that wear black uniform, carry big gun on their shoulder, march down the street. And I just peeped through the window to see what's going on. So everybody thought that we will be peace. There's no mm-hmm. more fighting. There are more, no more gun, no more rocket sound, no more bombing. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody was thinking. Right, right. But on the contrary, these people, the next day, they came door to door. They point the gun at us, demand that we had mm-hmm. to get out from, from wherever we are. Right. Whether in the building, in the house, in shelter, wherever. You had to get out from there right away. Otherwise, we'll get shot. They will shoot us. Right. I mean, and you had no idea what was about to take place either, did you? No, no. So they want us to get out immediately. So mm-hmm. we don't have time to prepare for anything. So I just grabbed my clothes, maybe one, one set of clothes. Mm-hmm. And my uncle, because of his military background, he has some food, package of food and rice. So that's all we have in our bag. And everybody was on foot. Nobody can take the car or motorcycle or anything because wow. because there is no gasoline. Mm-hmm. There's no marketplace. The marketplace is already shut down. Wow. They, they shut down all the office, all the bank, all the transportation and communication. At that time, there was no cell phone. You depend on the the line phone, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. that even they shut down. So I cannot call home or contact my family to to tell them what whatever we are in. So um, I was so desperate to to connect with my family. Mm-hmm. But we were walking on the street, sleeping on the street making a little bit of food on the street, whatever we can make. We, we make the fire, we cook mm-hmm. the rice with the can. Um, for weeks, for weeks, almost a month, we were sleeping on, on the ground. How many miles was this trek or journey? Do you, as looking back, do you have any idea how many miles they kept pushing you along on this journey? The distance while it's, maybe 
hundred, two hundred, maybe a hundred miles. It's not that far, but because of the crowd. Right, right. The number of people that we mm. all pull out into to the, the road all at the same time, it just make it so difficult to move forward. So, so we're, we're talking, talking like maybe thousands, thousands of people, people are in the streets. Millions. Millions of people. Oh, so, my. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. So, so where ultimately in time, they you, you walked on foot and there was transportation at point, some points provided. Where ultimately did you end up, Sarah, in this journey? Ultimately, well... <clears throat> Ultimately, I end up in a camp, in a forced labor camp. Mm -hmm. So I, I skip many steps because of the time. Right. But right. ultimately, I end up in this uh, very control, control camp. There's mm -hmm. God that watch us all over with their gun. Mm -hmm. And we were the, we were demanded that we will go to work in the right field every day for long, long hours, maybe about 16 hours a day. Mm. And during that day, we work in the heat, the, the heat, the sun, uh, the, the heat was about 100, at least, at least 100 mm. degree. And can you believe that long stretch of day that we were under the sun. We don't can't have, imagine. We yeah. don't have time to rest seven days a week. And poor sleeping conditions and hardly any food was available for you, wasn't it? No, no. Uh -huh. They they gave us very, very little food with no nutrition. And you weren't in there. Were, and I think if I remember right in the book, there was even fruit available you could have eaten, but you were not permitted to eat any of the fruit that was any that was around you, were you? Yes, yes. This this camp was highly disciplined, mm -hmm. disciplined in a cruel way. There, there are a lot of fruit trees in the area, mm -hmm. like mango, orange, guava, uh, all kinds of beautiful, delicious fruit that when it ripe, it, the, the fruit fell to the ground, we could easily pick up and eat those fruit, but we are not allowed. Mm -hmm. We have to wait, wait until they gather the fruit, they pick it from the tree, and they divide it evenly. In this camp, there was 1,000 of us, mm. a 1,000 people. So that means they had to gather a lot of fruit. They mm -hmm. divided up into a 1,000 portion and then, then give it to us. So You didn't have any idea this was going to last for four long years, did you? No, no, no. We, we didn't know. Yeah. What? What were your feelings? And I, and I don't. I know this has to be at times painful to go back and and to relive. But can you share with us a little bit about what what were your how what were you feeling? What were you experiencing? Was did it feel hopeless? Did it feel like it would never end? Did you think you would never live or escape? What what was going on in your mind and heart during these 
four years? I don't remember how I felt, but I just remember that I keep doing it. I keep doing it, um, mm-hmm. just obey the rule because anything, I don't want to, to be an, an obstacle that mm-hmm. if, if, I, if I don't obey the rule, my chance of, be, uh, of being eliminated, it's very, very big. They, they eliminate people just like, uh, it's so easy. If, if you don't always, they get rid of you. You are, you are just a number. Wow. Wow. You are, wow. You are yeah. not a person. Mm-hmm. And they, that's. They, they, they treat us like a prisoner. That's so a, their, yeah, yeah. Their goal is to take us to punish us as much as they can. That ha- I just can't imagine what kind of a nightmare that was for you to to live through that, and to be able to to try to you know to just exist. And that sounds like that's what you were doing. It's just like a machine. It was just day by day, you were just mechanically operating. One day was just like the next, and just hoping and praying that you would somehow survive. During that time, you talk, Sarah, about how you began to call out on God. Can you, can you share with our audience a little bit about what began to shape and take place in your heart during that time? Yes, uh, at one point I became very sick. I contracted several disease, so I cannot, I cannot work anymore. So they put me in the death camp waiting to die because if I cannot work, I should not live in the same shelter with the working people. So once they put me in the death camp, I realized right away that if I keep staying in that camp without doing anything, I will have no chance to survive. There's nothing to help me to feel better. So, that is the time when I seek inside. If I cannot do anything out, outside physically, I'm, I'm looking inside, say, what can I do? The only thing that I can do was praying to God, asking mm-hmm. God for help, because I reach my limit. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. Right. You know, we, we're because of time restraints, like you said, we're we're skipping a lot of the story, and and I'm really hoping that readers will get your book and and read your story. But let's move forward to that four year. There came a time when you were able to finally escape. Tell us a little bit about how you were able to escape after four years. When when. At that time, there was, I have no concept of time during those, during those period, but mm-hmm. at one point, they move us to, into the jungle. They keep pushing us every two weeks. They, we keep moving to the jungle area. And then at that time, I realized that the jungle, my goal is to go 
back to my hometown. And this is totally opposite from my direction. So I realized that I should not keep following them. I, I need to think about escaping from this, this group. I know it's very dangerous. They will kill us right on the spot if they found us uh, uh, running away. But at that point, I said, freedom and family is more important. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if they kill me, so be it. I cannot live without my freedom, without my family. So that's when, well, I, I always trust in God. I always praise at nighttime. And then God gave me the courage to gather three trusted friends mm -hmm. to make a plan, make a plan to escape. You know, when we want to do something big like this, we need a team. Yes, that's right. Right. <laughs> you needed a team if you were going to get out of there alive, didn't you? I need my team, my supporter, yes. my trusted friend, and they trusted me, and we made plan, and we made it out. That's wonderful. And eventually you made it back to your family, didn't you? Yes. And that is another miraculous story all in itself. And to think that barefooted and with hardly any supplies, you made it through the jungle and eventually made it back home. Yes. But then there came a time when you moved to the United States. Tell us a little bit how that worked out for you. Yeah, when when I found my family, I really, <clears throat> I really enjoy our reunion. And my 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 mom restored my health. She she helped me. She mm -hmm. she feed me and everything. But the situation in the country is not safe. And we realize that if, if we keep staying in, in this situation, we, we are not going to get better. Mm -hmm. So my mom had a vision that, that one of us need to get out mm -hmm. to, to find something better and may, maybe eventually we'll come back and help out the family. So that one person was me. She appointed me because because I'm the oldest and I'm, <laughs> I'm more courageous. And, and I'm not, <laughs> right. And I'm After not, what you've been through, going some another country doesn't seem like much, does it? <laughs> no. So um, I take that challenge. Mm -hmm. I cried for three nights before the day that, we, that I left. Mm -hmm. I did not want to leave. I don't, I did not want to leave my family behind. I, I want, you know, right. I want to be with my family, but for future, for future um, situation, I did, I left and it, it, it was a journey, but uh, my mom sent me with her cousin. Her cousin also uh, planned to uh, go to the border. So, mm -hmm. so she, she arranged that um, that trip with her cousin. So that's again, it's not a team. I didn't do it all by myself. I have right. a team to do with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. And that, and then, how long have you been now here in the United States? Forty, 
40, exactly 40 years now. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Wow. What an incredible journey. And eventually you got your mother to the United States and your father too? My mom and my three brothers, but my father, he's supposed to come with the family, but for some reason at the last minute, he backed mm -hmm. out. He didn't want, he didn't come. He's still in Cambodia. He's in his 90. He's, oh, really? Um, yes, yes. Wow. Do you ever get back to Cambodia to visit? Have you been back at all? I went back uh, nine, uh, 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, after, after 35 years, after oh. 35 years left the country, I went back. Wow. That's amazing. I imagine that was a very emotional experience for you to go back after 35 years yeah. and to see your father too. See my dad. That's, yeah. that's, that's the only person I want to see the most. Right. And well, tell us Sarah a little bit about what you're doing today. So I know that you're, you're an author. I know you do speaking. Uh, what are some of the other things that you're doing today now that it, you're able to incorporate what you went through and the lessons you went through and the, how God helped you through that. How are you using that today? I'm using that. <clears throat> well, I don't have a big business plan right now, mm -hmm. but every opportunity that I have, like on the pod podcast, if, if there is the topic of discussion about a certain thing that I feel like I can use my advice to help people, mm -hmm. I will do it. I participate and I just share my story on uh, Check Your Game. Mm -hmm. That's the platform. It's the website that uh, the people that overcome a certain adversity, they put mm -hmm. their 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 the story there and give some advice. So I do something like that. And I have another platform. Um, it's called From Surviving to Thriving. Oh, I like that title, From Surviving to Thriving. Yeah. Great. And so that's another, that's another platform that you use to reach out to people. That's my platform. Okay. That's I'm a, great. I'm a, I'm a co-host with my my another team member <laughs> <laughs> you're you're definitely a team person aren't you i, I picked up on that it's about the fourth or fifth time that's awesome sarah that is yes my my uh, co-host she's also a refugee but she's from vietnam she survived the boat you know mm -hmm. she escaped she escaped vietnam through the boat and i escaped cambodia through the jungle mm -hmm. so <laughs> Wow. So we use our story to inspire people. That's awesome. Well, I want to, as we close the podcast today, and again, Sarah, I really appreciate you being on the podcast and taking some time. I know we just kind of hurried through the highlights of some of your story, but uh, your book is entitled How I Survived the Killing Fields, A Story of Hope, Love, and Determination. Where can they order this book from? Where can they get a copy of your book? They can order through my website, sarahim.com. It's spelled S-A-R-A-I-M.com and forward slash book. Mm -hmm. 
It's a great book. In fact, as I read back on the back of the book, one person said, I couldn't put the book down until I had read it all. You're truly amazing for all that you have endured and for all that you do for others. You are an inspiration to us all. And it truly is a very inspiring book. It, I, I told you this at part points. It was heartbreaking to read, but it was wonderful to see how God intervened in your life and has brought you to where you are today. And I thank God for that. So one of these days we'll get you back on the podcast again, Sarah, and maybe we'll choose a topic and let you let you kind of talk about that topic. Would there be just maybe like in closing, like one word of admonition or advice you would want to give to maybe people who are going through difficult situations and it seems impossible or they feel like there's no way they're going to make it through? Would there be a word of encouragement or admonition you would have for them? Sure. Yeah. Um, if, if I want to make it just to one word, I would say, keep your faith. Mm-hmm. Have that faith and have that hope because with, with our faith, we can, we can see a brighter future. Amen. Without hope, without faith, we cannot see that there is a possible brighter future in front of us, but our faith in God, God will help us through and eventually, eventually things will get better. Amen. Well, thank you, Sarah, and God bless you. Appreciate you being on the podcast. And friends, we appreciate you listening today to Hope Along the Journey podcast. Remember, as we always say, that Jesus Christ is truly the hope of the world. And if you look to Jesus, he will give you hope along the journey. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and would like to know more, Follow us on Facebook at Hope Along the Journey or send us an email at hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us again for more hope along the journey.